Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. As we come to the end of Pride Month, the celebration is tempered by news of setbacks across the country. In Idaho, police arrested 31 members of a white supremacist group called the Patriot Front, where they allegedly planned to disrupt a peaceful Pride Month event. There is a litany of laws being passed and considered throughout the country. They seek to do everything from banning transgender athletes from competing in sports to removing books that deal with the LGBTQ experience from library shelves and reading lists. Legislators also have targeted transgender youth with laws to block gender-affirming care. And with a Supreme Court with a willingness to overturn precedent, many wonder if LGBTQ rights will be next. This comes as Americans have come to overwhelmingly accept same-sex marriage. Many states have approved anti-discrimination policies, and institutions and businesses, including major league sports, celebrate and recognize LGBTQ equality. Vigilance is warranted, as history proves that pushback always follows progress. America in real time is seeing resistance by some to a society that not only acknowledges difference, but also sees diversity as a strength. So, what's needed culturally and legally to ensure forward movement on the path to equality for all Americans? How can organizations and corporations be more intentional in supporting the LGBTQ community? Equal Time explores what comes next with guests who know because it is their life and their work. Sasha Bookert is a senior attorney in the Washington, D.C. office of Lambda Legal. It's the oldest and largest organization dedicated to advancing the civil rights of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgender people, and individuals living with HIV. Before joining Lambda Legal, Sasha served as staff attorney and policy counsel at Transgender Law Center. She was the first openly transgender person to be appointed to an Oregon State Board. And from 2012 to 2013, she served as the chair of the Oregon State Hospital Advisory Board. Also joining Equal Time is Kendra R. Johnson. She's executive director at Equality North Carolina, the oldest statewide organization in the country dedicated to securing rights and protections for the LGBTQ community. She's a native of Little Rock, Arkansas, where she previously worked as the state director for the Human Rights Campaign. In her work to promote equity, Kendra has focused on building a better, more equitable South that is strengthened by diversity, safe schools, inclusive institutions, and welcoming communities. So thank you, Sasha Bookert and Kendra R. Johnson, for being guests on CQ Roll Call's Equal Time podcast. Delighted to be here. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, same here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we are ending coming to the end of Pride Month. And I'd like to start by asking each of you what it means to you and your organizations. What did you celebrate and how did you celebrate? Well, you know, it's, it's been a very difficult year punctuated by uh, yet, uh, last Friday. And, uh, you know, I think um, uh, what I'm celebrating, you know, I can't speak for the trans community or for Lambda Legal even, but I'm, what I'm celebrating really is resilience. You know, I feel like our community has withstood decades and decades of discrimination and harassment, and but we continue to be out and proud and who we are and to move things forward for the next generation. So, you know, it's a difficult moment, but I think part of this work is just recognizing that some of this work is two steps forward, one step back, but I'm excited for that next step forward. Thank you. And Kendra, if you could take that on and don't worry, we will be getting to some of the challenges. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would echo what Sasha has said. I mean, actually, our gala is themed uh, a beautiful resilience um, because of that. You know, I think every time Pride Month rolls around for me, I really see how far we've come. And I, no matter what the challenges are, which I know we're going to have a lengthy discussion about that, I'm reminded about queer joy, um, people making a way out of no way, people building family and the beautiful stories of people who just have incredible acceptance from their family despite all the odds and holding on to that positivity because pride itself started, you know, as a 
a riot against police brutality. And we fought back then. We keep fighting now. And we are resilient in that struggle year after year, no matter what comes at us. So that's what I uphold during this period. And just remember our elders who fought so valiantly and continue to fight. Well, I wanted to start with that, with that acknowledgement, with that resilience, because we know that at the same time, anybody that's looking at the news, uh, that some states are seeming to target the LGBTQ community with bans on books, even laws aimed at transgender youth, from sports bans to the blocking of gender-affirming care. We see the Texas Republican Convention issue a document with clear anti-LGBTQ language, and they even ban members of their own law cabin Republicans from meetings. And of course, as Sasha referenced, in Supreme Court justices, the Clarence Thomas concurrence in the overturning of Roe, he talks about considering reviewing other rights, such as same-sex marriage and intimate relationships. So how do these developments affect your mission? And how do you meet and overcome these quite serious challenges? You want to start off with that, Sasha? Sure. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, well, I think we just have to, you know, we, we have to address them head on, you know, and I think, you know, as I'm the non-binary and trans rights project director here. So I work, that's a little bit of my lane. I'm a little bit of a one trick pony here, but, but I think that for our community, I think one of the biggest hurdles is, you know, we'll talk about the legal battles and, and I'm confident that we'll prevail, you know, in the courts. And, but I, I think that along with winning in court, it's also really important to win in the court of public opinion and to shift public opinion and to win hearts and minds. And I feel like that's, you know, there, unfortunately there's just a, a lot of people that don't know who trans and non-binary people are. They, they don't have anybody in their lives. You know, they don't, they don't have a coworker. You know, we need a, we need a TV show to be honest, like a will and grace for, with a trans character, you know, somebody that people can relate to. Cause it's just uh, it's unfortunate, but I think the, the far right is really, seized on what we call the empathy gap, you know, or the fact that people, you know, don't understand or have, haven't had a lot of contact with trans people. But, you know, so there's a lot of like just humanizing that needs to happen just to remind people that, you know, we're, we're human beings. We like dogs. We like ice cream. You know, we're just, uh, you know, uh, trying to live our lives freely and openly. And so I think the right far rate is seized on that, unfortunately. And, you know, and I think it's really important to underscore too, in talking about public opinion, though, Although people don't know us, there's no there's no animus towards the transgender community either, though. You know, public opinion has showed over and over that the vast majority of Americans support protecting transgender people against discrimination. So I think it's, you know, it's it's important to underscore that I think that a lot of the attacks that we're seeing in the community are coming from folks from far right legislators because of gerrymandering and the rollback of voting rights don't have anybody to to appeal to other than people that are even further right than they are. And what that means is it leads to, you know, this discriminatory legislation that we're seeing. So I think that's a, a cause of it. And, uh, you know, I think that to get to the courts, and we can talk about this a lot more, you know, but I think that, you know, stepping back just a little bit, I think it's important to, you know, I think that there has been, you know, a metric ton of victories in, in, in the courts even recently on, on these issues. But I don't think those are necessarily permanent. You know, we have to continue to, to struggle and, and to move forward legal protections. And how about you, Kendra, with this flood, it seems, of uh, activity, you know, with progress comes pushback. What do you see as your uh, challenges in, the, in your mission and your organization's mission and how you're meeting them? So I think, number one, our mission remains the same. It remains intact. And I'm really fortunate to be at an organization that, before I started, adopted a race equity lens. So connecting the dots is where we have been um, and where we are. And I think we have to continue that work. And what we're seeing right now is just a, a ratcheting up of a culture war that uh, we have been embattled by for decades. And that culture war, um, you know, I think is what actually contributed to, to Trumpism. Um, and we know that Trumpism is not dead. And we know just looking at actually our legal progress in the courts that prior to um, marriage equality, we were averaging about 45 bills uh, a year. And then post-marriage equality, it jumped up to 
over 200. And that's when we saw bills like uh, HB2 hit North Carolina. um, And we saw a lot more bathroom bills. The only thing that's different about our mission is that I think they're trying to take us back to the 50s and 60s and um, bringing up rhetoric that is calling us groomers. And they're trying to take us back to a space where we have to be closeted in all, all of these systems. But I'm really hopeful um, because young folks are not having it. And more and more, the work has become intersectional and inclusive. We're not being able to be picked off and isolated. And so I'm hopeful that the work can continues to be sounding the alarm, connecting the dots, and building out a movement that is Black, Brown, trans, and GNC, um, you know, female, like just across the board immigrant, um, so that we recognize that the opposition is actually coming for all of us, and we are better united. Well, Kendra, you, you do seem to have faith in the next generation. And you also noted the HB2, the bathroom bill, which, of course, was North Carolina's uh, attempt and a lot of pushback they got, a lot of massive backlash. But I wonder, Kendra, as a child of the South who does much of your work in the South, do you meet particular challenges doing your work in the South based in North Carolina? And what would surprise people you know, about your work here? You, you've, I know you've had recent experiences here in North Carolina of folks interfering with pride events uh, in the name of religion, and we're known as the Bible Belt. So can you talk a little bit more about that? There are certainly unique challenges in the South. You know, I totally agree with that. And I'm a Southerner through and through. I'm originally from Arkansas. I'm proud to be doing this work in North Carolina. I think, um, You know, we're still reeling from desegregation. There is not full integration in the South. North Carolina does a better job than Arkansas, where there's still a lot of silos. So this message of working collectively and connecting the dots between like low resource or low income folks and immigrants and black and brown folks and the LGBTQ community and women um, is a little bit harder because I think we are still a little bit more siloed. Um, so I think that's one of the unique challenges. And I want to just highlight that, you know, the uh, what we're seeing with the Christian nationalism and the connections with the Proud Boys is not unique to the South. Um, and, you know, I frequently say that Racism is really an issue that is pervasive throughout the United States because white supremacy is what this country was founded on. And whenever someone is like, I'm going to move to California or New York, I remind them that Eric Garner happened in New York. Um, Fruitvale Station happened in, and Rodney King in California, that these, these issues are pervasive everywhere. Um, so we did see issues with Proud Boys turning up. We have had insurrectionists trying to block pride and apex, but these are issues that the whole of the United States is is experiencing. You know, Buffalo is in New York. So I think these things are not used, uh, are unique to the South. Like, of course, we had Dylan Roof in South Carolina, uh, but we also had it right up in Buffalo. So we have to be clear that although conditions may seem a little bit better in other places where there are larger concentrated populations of queer folks or larger concentrations of black around folks, that um, the work is really the same and the message has to be the same, that the conditions of our lives that are problematic, the desires that we have as people uh, are the same and just continuing to connect those dots and sound the alarm about racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, misogyny, the problems with the patriarchy is the work that we need to be doing nationally. Yeah, thank you. And I want to just note for our listeners that when you mentioned Apex, there was an incident in Apex, North Carolina's pride celebration, and the Equality North Carolina ended up being a sponsor of the Drag Queen Story Hour. Isn't that correct? (laughs) Yeah, the whole pride, actually, because what happened was intimidation around the actual 
drag story hour. Um, and so the organizers were pulling out, not the families who came together to plan Pride, but um, the festival commission that has a nonprofit status. So we actually stepped in and our condition was number one, let's try and minimize the police presence there because of the history of pride. Number two, drag story hour has to be restored to the kids zone where it was originally intended, you know, and three, we need to be able to talk about this. Like we don't want to be quiet about what happened in apex because people need to know about the real threats that are happening to organizers, to the drag queens who are doing story hour and to our community. Um, so we stepped in and like actually gave our 501c3 in order for it to go on because we cannot, we need to have our safe spaces. We cannot continue to have um, situations where safe spaces that are intended for the LGBTQ community are policed and violated. Yeah. So, Sasha, your background is the law, and all eyes are now, as we know, on the Supreme Court and its conservative majority with a willingness to overturn precedent, although I don't know if that's conservative, uh, as it weighs in on issues from abortion rights to cases involving the separation of church and state. So how do you see that affecting LGBTQ rights from the right to health care, same-sex marriage, and more? Yeah, there's there's so much at stake, you know, um, and I think it's important, you know, definitely to talk about the Supreme Court. But I, you know, I was, as my boss used to always say, it's a, you know, talking about courses always should always be your plus one, you know, with whatever you're talking about. So thank you for bringing this up. But I also think it's important to talk about the lower courts, you know, in the, you know, in my opinion, there was, you know, a great amount of harm that was done in the last administration uh, because, you know, the judicial nominees that were being nominated and confirmed made no secret about their, you know, animus towards civil rights generally, uh, whether it's voting rights or LGBTQ rights. Um, and this is really uh, some folks that are clearly not going to be able to set aside their personal beliefs. And, and we started to see that in the decisions that are being issued, you know, from different parts of the country. Uh, but I will say, in my opinion, you know, the Biden administration has done a, a good job of prioritizing uh, nominating and confirming uh, lifetime appointments to the judiciary. So, you know, that's that's um, there, there's there's some significant repair being done, you know, and and uh, making sure that the judiciary reflects the community it serves. You know, I think there was, you know, the very, very few folks of color that were nominated in the last administration in this administration has done you know, a, a decent job in writing that, uh, but there's still a, a metric ton of work to be done on that front. But yes, with regard to the Supreme Court, you know, the you know, Friday's decision was, you know, absolutely chilling, you know, and uh, uh, it, it shows, you know, uh, paired with the, you know, the gun, the, the gun decision in New York and, uh, you know, the decision today <laughs> and some of the other rhetoric that you know has been coming out of the court should scare everyone and in, in, into action here and uh that you're right the the court sent mixed messages messages to say the least on on the issue of lgbtq rights in several places in the decision on friday there was you know clarification that this wouldn't apply to you know uh, uh, other landmark decisions like lawrence v texas and obergefell v hodges but in the same breath, the other justices were saying that, you know, we should definitely revisit those cases. So uh, I think it's inevitable that, you know, this court has, you know, um, gone, um, jumped the shark or whatever the metaphor is. And, uh, you know, they are hearing a very important case in the next legislative session, uh, or the, sorry, the next uh, Supreme Court session in October uh, that will have a decision again coming out next June. Uh, called it's a creative uh, 303 um, I forgot the, the respondent's name but um, that's that's the name of the case and it's going to be looking at this question of whether you know a business owner can deny services to LGBTQ people and that's a similar you know folks probably familiar with the masterpiece cake shop uh, decision so there's 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 a, all eyes are in the Supreme Court and uh, they better write that ship because you know the it's so important that you know um, Folks have trust and faith in, in their judiciary and the decisions that we're seeing, you know, um, are not indicative of, of a court that is, is taking its job seriously and, and is, seems to have no limit in 
what precedent they will overturn, you know, in, 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 in these decisions. So yeah, deep, deeply concerning. So both on the, on the lower court and the Supreme court, lots, lots of being, lots of work being done in the lower court, but, but uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of work still needs to be done in the Supreme court for sure. Will you be doing a lot of your work and your organization's work on the lower court level? Yeah, absolutely. Lambda Legal has taken, you know, a leadership role in, in this work over the last few years. You know, we, when I first came to DC to work at Lambda Legal, you know, that was one of the first projects that we you know, got involved with and, uh, you know, just making sure to, you know, amplify the message, you know, to, to you know, I th- unfortunately, I think that the far right has really grabbed on to the courts as an issue to motivate their base. And the results are, are clear. And I think that until the progressive community really really understands that these are lifetime appointments. You know, Donald Trump will come and go, but these judicial nominees will be on the bench for 40 years in some cases. So it's just really important that people take elections as, as seriously because those are the folks that are going to be nominating lifetime judges and to understand who who is being appointed and, and to take the time and speak with, you know, their elected representatives and, and to, you know, express their concern, you know, uh, over nominees and, and, to hear, and make sure that your senator hears your voice. Thank you. Now, Kendra, Sasha talked about diversity on the bench and within the gay rights movement, just as in America, there are inequities. So do you feel that the voices of African-Americans and other minorities could be more prominent, especially when it comes to which issues should be elevated? And what's the solution? Sure. Yeah, I think representation is key here. And I think part of the reason that we have so many issues with the laws that are being implemented around the nation is uh, that this is theoretical. We don't have enough working class folks um, in our Congress. We do not, not in any of our governments, not even in our general assemblies. And that is by design. We don't have enough black or brown folks who are actually from those working class levels that will bring, we don't have enough women. We don't have enough trans folks, LGB folks there who bring in different perspectives. Um, I think the solution is that the organizations that work on elections, the organizations that work with government for preparing anyone who's going to take office or who is going to even step into the legal system, into judgeships, the ones that are not elected, we need to be very intentional about recruiting and developing and creating actually a fair playbook, like leveling the um, the ground for individuals in order to access uh, political power. And what I mean by that is someone who is wealthy, someone who is white, who's grown up in a certain sector and who's educated at certain schools, has access to resources. And I'm going to date myself with this reference by virtue of a Rolodex. You know, people in your in your circle who have a, they have a long contact list of people who are wealthy, who have access to resources, who know how to run campaigns. And they start with an advantage when they're trying to run for office. Someone who's coming from working class does not necessarily have access to the wealth and the resources that you need. So we need to build out some scaffolding to ensure that we have diverse candidates so that different perspectives are being represented. Uh, even, you know, Sasha, you were just talking about the debates that are going on with the Constitution. That This is a highly theoretical debate. You know, a lot of this is rooted on the fact that we did not have these rights delineated back when the Constitution was created. Well, when the Constitution was created, the only folks who had rights in this country were white, cis, male property owners. So, Continuing to base our arguments on we cannot change these things, we cannot find this was not contemplated, will routinely shut people out of the political process, will routinely eliminate, eviscerate the rights of people who were not in that original design. And that goes from political representation to uh, the folks who are sitting on the bench. Yeah, and, and you talked about in our earlier conversation even within the gay rights movement, some issues like homelessness, uh, employment opportunity, and other things uh, sometimes you feel should be more prominent. Agreed. Yeah. One of the things that, yeah, 
I think is critical. And, and you know, this may be controversial, but I, I personally do not believe that we should have started with marriage equality as our first fight, uh, because there is broader, as Sasha noted, people may not know a trans or non-binary person, but they believe that everyone should have equal rights in this country. Um, and if we had started out with no one should be homeless, no one should be without a job, no one should be without access to education, we might not be fighting some of the battles that we're doing. Marriage equality was important, and I'm not discounting that. One day I may get married, but fundamentally everybody wants to eat, be in a secure housing. They want to have access to education. They want to feel safe when they walk on the streets. And those are the issues that actually uh, determine our quality of lives um, here in the, you know, in the United States or whatever country that you live in. And for too many people um, who are trans and gender nonconforming, employment, formal employment is elusive. Housing remains elusive getting good ID documents that match their gender identity, which leads to all those things, education, employment, housing is elusive. And we just, there's so many issues that need to be addressed. And again, this comes from elites inside of the LGBTQ community setting the issue agenda. And so I think broader representation of more people at the table with more experience in our organizations, our government, and on the bench is what we need. Sasha, would you say there's room for a whole host of issues? What do you think? Yeah, thousand percent plus plus plus. Yeah, there's you know um, you know especially you know one thing that I've had the privilege of working on is criminal justice reform. And, you know, it's been an issue, but it hasn't really taken center stage. And you know, I think that that is an issue that could use a lot more attention and, and work. So um, you know, there's there's a few folks working on it, but not enough, in my opinion, for the for the suffering that's happening on that front. Yeah. Sasha, I, I know we hear a lot about rainbow washing and how I want to talk a little bit about the role of corporations. Uh, and corporations mainly show support in performative ways when it comes to the LGBTQ community, particularly during Pride Month. So do you have any feedback for how companies can demonstrate more authentic efforts for their LGBTQ stakeholders, including their employees and their customers? Yeah, and there's a number of ideas that come to mind. I think first and foremost would be to take a close look at, you know, who you're donating to. You know, unfortunately, I think that there's been a sense that, you know, we'll, you know, we'll donate equally to, you know, different uh, political parties, but, you know, without, you know, crossing over, you know, a C3, C4 line here, I would just say, you know, um, uh, urge companies when they're thinking about those kinds of um, uh, expenditures to look at the kind of legislation that's being introduced by the people that they're supporting. And if it's targeting LGBTQ people, you know, whether Republican or Democrat or independent, that that's the kind of nomin that's the kind of campaign that you should not be donating to and would urge you to think twice and, and to consider your customers and your employees and, and their families that are LGBTQ. Um, there's a lot of things that companies can do policy-wise to help the LGBTQ community, specifically trans and non-binary folks. You know, unfortunately, what I've experienced, you know, in, in my years of, of doing this work is that a lot of times companies will, a lot of trans folks specifically that I meet are people who, you know, after having worked at a company for 20, 30 years, finally feel safe enough to be able to you know, transition on the job and, and live authentically. But I don't see a lot of um, enough companies uh, hiring openly trans people and specifically openly trans people of color. You know, I see it, you know, in some, some you know, starting, you know, uh, entry level positions, but I don't see it, you know, with a lot of the folks that a lot of companies that we work with, you know, and that are some of the bigger corporations and, and some, of, and, and especially at the executive level. So I would just encourage companies to bring in that specific diversity and to, you know, and to look closely at the, you know, number of employees you have um, that identify as non-binary and trans and, and try to, to do better to increase diversity on that front. And also, you know, making sure that there's equal healthcare benefits for um, trans folks. A lot of times, you know, folks in many different parts of the private sector have to experience and have to overcome healthcare exclusions and their plans. It's for healthcare that's routinely given to non-transgender people, but that's 
marked out as excluded for, for trans people. So just taking a close look at your benefits and making sure that they're equally provided for, you know, there's, you know, the vast consensus and growing consensus of, of uh, case law has held that those kinds of exclusions are discriminatory and violate uh, federal law. So um, just would encourage folks to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's the law. Now, both of you have pointed out that polls have shown that the public is overwhelmingly and increasingly, the numbers are rising, on the side of equal rights for all. At the same time, you have these restrictive laws popping up in some of the states. So I'd like to hear from both of you on why you feel that there's this disconnect. I'll jump in and say I think it's because of the culture war that I, you know, alluded to at the beginning of the podcast. And I think the way that these issues are uh, presented in the media, they seem reasonable. I mean, let's just take, for example, the parental rights bill, Um, the language that was, which is our own don't say gay bill, which was House Bill 755. You know, they were uh, the the opposition presented this bill as perfectly reasonable. Parents should have the right to be engaged in their child's education. They need to know what their students are being taught. It's presented as something that is pretty uh, innocuous. And when in reality, you know, they're policing teachers, they're policing language, they're outing kids, they're blocking kids from access to uh, guidance counselors without consent, without understanding, you know, the real struggles that LGBTQ kids face in classrooms. So the presentation is always this thing that seems fairly innocuous. And if people don't have meaningful relationships with people who are LGBTQ and particularly, um, I think trans and non-binary folks have been demonized in a way in the media as predatory, then uh, people get riled up and scared. Uh, It is a tactic of fear. Um, So while on the one hand you have this this is the land of, you know, freedom and justice for all when people feel as if their freedoms are being encroached upon because of the argument that's being put out by our opposition. They or that there's a fear that folks are losing something or there's this horrific thing happening in classrooms. People get riled up and they respond. The fear, the yeah, fear, the fear is a tactic. Is, yeah, I was going to say same tactic from civil rights, right? Um yeah of the black invasion that would happen, right? Um, same thing, so. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that, you know, and I, <laughs> I think that I, I don't um, really want to concede though that there's a connection, you know, I, well, I, I think that you didn't say that anyway. I, I wanna underscore that there is, you know, widespread polling that shows that there's a lot of support for transgender and non-binary folks. And so my theory is that this isn't coming from, you know, the mainstream America, the movable middle. This is coming from the far right, you know, and there might be, you know, explanations for that, that, you know, um, that go beyond, you know, redistricting. But I think it's just because these folks don't have anybody else to, to outflank other than the people that are to the right of them that are pushing a lot of this legislation. And, and yeah, they're capitalizing on the on the myths about transgender people. And, and with regard to the healthcare bans, you know, they, you know, put out all of this junk science in these hearings and talk about the dangers of care. And, and then once they get to a court where the white hot spotlight of judicial scrutiny is on them, you know, we've so far, thankfully, the courts have, have recognized that that's just bunk, you know, that, that gender affirming care is supported by over 1.3 million doctors as part of over, you know, that represent, you know, over 20 healthcare organizations across the country, including the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, so there's just, you know, I think it's just important to underscore that this is not coming from, you know, the, the kitchen table in mainstream America. You know, the, the vast majority of Americans uh, want trans youth to be free from discrimination. We have to talk a little bit, I believe, you know, Kendra, you talked about the threats in Apex, but there there, ha- there have been threats. We saw the 31 white men with white masks that were arrested in Idaho, that they were 
apparently, according to the police, uh, going to target a peaceful park gathering for Pride Month. What are you advising the folks that you work with about this very real, some of these very real threats? And are you surprised? I I can honestly say I am surprised. I mean, perhaps I should not be. Um, We've had a long, I mean, since Obama was elected, um, we have seen a rise in um, white Christian nationalism and extremists and a high rate of folks who are armed. You know, the first, I think, year of his presidency, you couldn't, ammunitions were just completely out of stock at a lot of the the gun stores. They could not keep them in. So this is something that has been brewing for a long time coming. I think I'm more shocked with how quickly it has turned to pride. Um, And, you know, you cited Idaho, but there were proud boys who came into a, a, it wasn't even a drag story hour. It was a pride story hour in Wilmington here and, you know, use tactics of intimidation for there were more protesters than there were families there that were reading books like Heather Has Two Mommies, you know, is directed for queer families. Uh, but they came and, and were in that space. So it's alarming. The advice that I'm giving is that we need to take this seriously. And we started with that at, at Apex. Um, you know, I had folks about contingency plans about we brought in community marshals who just were sort of eyes on the ground. They welcome and greet guests. They were there to spot trackers um, and to make sure that there was, that we had our people keeping us safe as opposed to relying on the police. Um, Because the police has said, well, there are differing opinions. This is public land. Um, And I know that that would not be true if these were black or brown or trans folks turning up at an event, but because these are white cis men, um, they are not taking a stance that these are troublemakers who are coming to upset a public event. And that's the danger that we're in is the narrative. It's the same thing we saw in Charlottesville that, you know, there are good people on both sides. It's the same thing that we've seen, even with these shooters that have gone and killed black folks that they're being treated nicer than any of us would, even if we came to for a peaceful protest. Um, and they're using tactics of intimidation. So we are monitoring. We're telling people to take it seriously and to have contingency plans because um, we're in a very strange and hostile moment that doesn't feel like any moment that I have been in in my 51 years around LGBTQ equality. Like certainly I felt safe, you know, unsafe at times holding my partner's hand in places, but I've never felt like I might be in a safe queer space and have that targeted by an armed militia. (laughs) Mm. Um, That this is new territory for me and people need to take it seriously. Yeah. Sasha, I always ask us on equal time, because I can't think of everything. What question have I not asked that I should have? Because you have something important to say on the topic. You know, I think I just want to go back to what I started with. And that is just to focus on, you know, the resilience of our community. Yes, there are certainly threats. The Supreme Court is a threat. <laughs> the, you know, the violence that we're seeing, the growing violence and, and hate um, crimes and hate speech that we're seeing. You know, um, and, but, you know, I, I, I do agree with what Kendra said at the beginning of the call, too, though. You know, I've, I've been doing this work for about 10 years or so. And, you know, the things have changed significantly since I came out. You know, when I first transitioned, it was really difficult in most places to get even a driver's license that, you know, reflected, you know, my name and gender. And, uh, you know, that's become a lot easier thanks to the, not because of me, but because of the tireless advocacy that, you know, um, advocates have done around the country. And, and, and thanks, as Kendra said, also to, you know, the people that have 
move this work forward that whose shoulders we're standing on, you know, and, uh, and I think that they have made this world better for us and that we, you know, we've got to, it's tough. It really is. I'm, but uh, I think it's important that we, you know, stand up and, and do what we can to move things forward in this moment for, for the next generation. So I just want to, you know, I guess, end on a note of, of, of hope and, and resilience again, and, and know that again, this work is, is for the trans community specifically, I think that the old adage that, you know, first they ignore you and then they laugh at you and then they fight you and then you win is really true. You know, for the most, for a lot of our history, you know, it's, it's getting better. We've been doing a lot of work to make sure that, that we're part of the curriculum, you know, with some setbacks, but, you know, we're um, not ignored as much anymore. And, you know, of course, we were the butt of all, every sitcom up to about 2015 had a had a trans episode. It's really hard for me to go and watch anything before 2015 these days. Uh, and this is the fight, you know, we this is backlash, call it what you will, but it's the fight. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm confident and uh, that we will win, you know, it, it, uh, and I just want to say I appreciate everybody out there that supports um, LGBTQ people and, and specifically non-binary and trans folks and uh, say happy ending, ending happy pride to everybody. And uh, uh, please get in touch if there's anything you'd like to talk about or uh, explore with, uh, with me or with Lambda Legal. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you, you, you mentioned hope. I did want to say what gives you hope, Sasha? Um, well, you know, again, I think what gives me the most hope is just, you know, the, the transgender youth uh, is, is, you know, when I first, <laughs> you know, it took me way too long to, you know, uh, be out and proud as, as who I am, you know, for especially coming from a progressive part of the country in Oregon. And um, I uh, was struck even then, you know, with the uh, ferocity and braveness of um, a transgender youth who just provided this amazing model of, of what it means to live authentically and, and openly and, and freely. And uh, I, they continue to inspire me, you know, uh, with everything that the far right has to throw at them. They are bravely, you know, going to school as themselves every day authentically and, and, and uh, Lambda Legal and every other, with Equality North Carolina, I'm sure in every other organization we stand, you know, locked arms with them. We'll, we'll continue to move forward um, until they until everybody can live authentically and openly as, as who they are. And you, Kendra, uh, what, well, we've talked a little bit about the threats, but what's the progress? What gives you hope? And what haven't I asked that I should have? <laughs> you can answer both of those. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'll start out with what haven't you asked is like, I think, what do we do in this moment? Because I think, yes. um, you know, it's like, what I said at the Roe v. Wade overturned rally, they're coming for our whole lives. And this, the Dobbs v. Casey is, you know, which overturned Roe, is really a very slippery slope for civil rights in this country as a whole. Um, and you may have think that this does not impact you, but um, people need to get engaged uh, with um, local organizations, national organizations, they need to roll up their sleeves. And I just always say, give of your time, your talent, or your treasure um, to an organization. So if you have some great comm skills, or if you are a master with a spreadsheet, every organization right now that's working for civil rights in this country needs help. If you can't, you know, give of a talent, you know, if you can give of your time to table and help get the word out, that's great. Or to get some pro-equality candidates elected, we need folks doing that. And if not, donate. Not, you know, we'd love it if it were Equality NC, but there's Lambda Legal, there is NCLR, there is, uh, you know, uh, North Carolina Abortion Access. There's all these organizations that truly need your support in order for us to survive this. And we'll survive it by coming together and supporting the organizations that are doing the work every day. And everyone has a role. People have to see themselves in this movement. And then, you know, what is giving me joy right now is actually, and what what is the progress that I've seen is that when I got home from the row rally and then out Raleigh this weekend, I actually got on my couch and had so many queer shows that I could see about crush on Hulu with queer little lesbians and um, falling in love and, you know, in high school and Gentleman Jack, a period piece and 
I can hit legendary and I can see representation. Like I only started to see at the tail end of the nineties where we live, where we start to be happy. You said 2015, you know, for lesbians, I think we stopped dying and, or going back to husbands in the nineties. I'm glad that we're moving in the right direction. Like pose was huge for me to see an ensemble cast, um, finally getting trans people to play trans people, which is very exciting. Um, so that gives me so much hope because I know that's accessible to some people who are looking for who they are, who are trying to find themselves. And for anyone who's grown up and not seen themselves reflected in any media whatsoever, to see yourself there reflected is a true joy. And we're having content creators. So our representation is growing. And we see our beauty and resilience in some of those shows. They're not all perfect, um, but this is a huge change for me who had to go to the library and hope that the copies had of whatever book I was trying to find had not been taken out to just get some idea about what our community was and who I was and how I fit into it. So that gives me a lot of joy and the youth as well. Yeah, the youth. Now, I have to have two great guests. So do you have any questions that you would like to ask each other? <laughs> if you would, if you were to play interviewer? Yeah, I would like to know, and this is just me, and I want to model good allyship as a person who's cisgender, um, who knows that I am always learning. Um, I want to know, like, just largely for the public's benefit, what are the best ways that cis folks can show up for trans and non-trans and non-binary siblings um, in this moment? And not the please don't tell me call and check on people because I got that during the uprisings as a black person. But what are the real things that we need to be doing to show up in this moment when trans and GNC folks are under attack at every moment? That's so sweet. Thank you. I think, you know, just uh, being aware of the attacks is a huge, huge lift, you know, um, but I'm, as an advocate, it's always, there's always something practical. So I would recommend, and this is for everyone out there, you know, unfortunately, very few people know who their state senator and their state representatives are. Very few people. I will go to a, a in-person event or virtual and I'll ask, and usually about 20% of the people know. And so I would urge everyone who's listening who or who will ever listen to at least Google find my legislator and um, <laughs> figure out who they are. And if you want to go that second step and just give them a call and let them know that they should be supporting LGBTQ people, LGBTQ students in particular, and in particular, particular transgender and non-binary students, uh, we'd be very grateful. You know, those, those folks keep track of that information. And I think it would it'd go a long way. They're lonely. All I hear from are folks in the far right in most cases. So I would just urge more more contact and more um, involvement in, in local uh, elected officials' lives. And then I will turn the question, you know, back, you know, to you, Kendra, if you don't mind, and just ask you what uh, what I can do, you know, as a um, a white ally to support people of color in in a diff this difficult moment as well. You know, we've seen it's not just trans and non-binary people. We've seen attacks on voting rights. You know, I know that, you know, the redistricting, you know, fights that are happening in North Carolina and across the country. And, you know, what what can I do to support uh, folks of color and uh, defend against the attacks that we're seeing? I think the number one thing that I ask of all allies is humility. Like, I think that's the number one thing is knowing what you don't know and not coming with assumptions. Um, and I think, you know, I think your point, I'm just going to have to go to your point. You need to know your legislators and your politicians' positions on things. So let's go to step three, like beyond knowing who they are, knowing how they vote. Like once you know who that person is, do a quick Google and see what they have voted for in the legislature, because I think so many people don't know the track records of their electeds. And we have to be thinking, and that's why when we do our vetting, our survey is, our questionnaire is intersectional, 
Like, what is this person's position on abortion rights? What is this person's position on um, critical race theory? What's their position on equality issues that pertain to the LGBTQ community? Um, Criminal justice, like all of those different things. So that's, to me, is like thinking about it as a collective and not just looking at to see their LGBTQ stance, but also how are they showing up for racial justice, for reproductive justice, criminal justice, environment, et cetera. This has been such an informative and wide-ranging discussion and a really good way, I think, to end Pride Month knowing that it is continuing. So I want to thank you both, Kendra R. Johnson and Sasha Bookert, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with the listeners of Equal Time. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was phenomenal. Thank you. So what's keeping me up at night? With our guests, I celebrate progress as the country strives to recognize diversity, not as a zero-sum contest, but as an opportunity where all Americans learn from one another and move forward together. But with our guests, I also realize that our country's history has proven it's not always an easy road. During a recent trip to Birmingham, Alabama, as I write in one of my recent roll call columns, I saw a city that has acknowledged that when hate wins, everyone loses. Its Civil Rights Institute tells the story of true heroes who helped teach that lesson to a city, the nation, and the world. Today's patriots are sharing that same message, if we will listen. Several Equal Time listeners are finding it hard to sleep as they anticipate each new revelation from the hearings of the House Select Committee on January 6th. How about you? What's keeping you up? Fill me in with a tweet at mcurtisnc3. I want to thank the Fiscal Note Executive Institute for their partnership and support of today's programming. They provide a community for senior executives at global companies across industries to come together to discuss top issues affecting organizations, including diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility. To learn more about their efforts, visit executiveinstitute.fiscalnote.com. And I want to thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.